AI Dash is the exclusive sponsor of Satellite Superheroes, unleashing the power of satellites and AI, simplifying your vegetation management. Go out to AIDash.com, find out more. On this episode of Satellite Superheroes, we are talking to Jeff Postalwake. He is the senior editor at TND World, and we're talking about utilities. We're talking about utility maintenance. We're talking about grid. We're talking everything that we possibly can about utilities because you need to know. Let's get cracking with the interview. Jeff, welcome to Satellite Superheroes. How are you doing today? Hey, doing real well. Uh, it's a beautiful, cool day up here in uh, Eugene, Oregon. I had a, I was wearing a flannel shirt uh, on the 4th of July, which was a little odd, but you know, I'm not complaining about it. Come on. See, what you just started rubbing our nose in it. Here in Louisiana, <laughs> it's, it's hot as hell. And it's, yeah. it's not fun at all. <laughs> we, my family, we were just down in California. Um, on vacation and uh yeah we were roasting it was we were just not, what was the temperature i never even asked you i don't know the gas prices were high the temperatures Ooh. were high uh everything i just stopped looking at the big numbers and just try to enjoy myself yeah, because you were going down to the happiest place on earth and you can't look at your wallet you can't because then it no. start no 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 extracting of, the joy from you <laughs> it's one of those things where yeah the digits are just spinning too fast for the human <laughs> eye to comprehend <laughs> You need an AI product for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sending away for the uh, data analytics on my uh, yeah. my bar tab at, at uh, the, the Enchanted Tiki Lounge. It's just a pretty cool place, by the way. Mm-hmm. You know, I do like that place. Yeah. All right. For the listeners out there, give us a little background on uh, who Jeff is and what, 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 why you're such an incredible pro- professional. Oh, gosh. Well, certainly. Yeah, I've uh, I've been writing about utilities and um, electricity, the electricity markets um, from the from the power from the power plant side of things all the way to the light switch. Since I guess, uh, well, the Obama administration uh, era, where uh, a lot of things were changing with uh, grant programs and uh, renewable energy integration and so on, and you know. Uh, now I'm over with uh, TND World, where I'm the senior editor. I spend most of my time uh, researching uh, in-depth sort of deep dive stories on the different issues that we cover from uh, transmission and distribution engineering to uh, grid edge stuff like virtual power plants, um, like I already said, renewable integration, uh, electrification of the transportation sector, um, and just, you know, uh, oh, the overall state of things in uh, in the utility uh, business, because uh, you know it is a business as well as as well as a critical service for the way that we do things in our world, um, and uh, things are changing. Um, do, do you do you find that there's a velocity out there in the utility world? I mean, it's 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 like for a hundred years we did it this way, and then all of a sudden yeah. we're going to pack a uh, hundred years in six months. Yeah, po- politicians like to describe government as like a big ship that turns slowly, and it's extremely frustrating to hear that uh, when you live in a world that has so many uh, urgent problems that need urgent action. But yeah, no, things are uh, things are very similar in the utility space. I sometimes it seems like very little has changed since the current wars when uh, Edison was electrocuting elephants, you know, to prove that his electricity was uh, better. 
And, you know, we have, we have uh, an analog type of a system that, uh, or at least we do in many cases. Uh, and uh, we look over at phones, communication that was so quick to digitize comparatively. And now people have these powerful computers in their pockets and they can do all sorts of things with them. And then they, they barely think about their electricity. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's always the hope that people are going to, you know, educate themselves and get more uh, mindful of their energy usage and, uh, you know, be intelligent energy consumers. But the plain fact of it is, and I've been hearing this for, you know, the better part of two decades now at conferences, which is people don't really think about their electricity until the bill comes due or the power goes out. And those are both bad times. And uh, especially the bill part now, because everything is more expensive. Uh, yeah. So I think probably one of the first things we wanted to talk about was just sort of the pressure that utilities are under uh, always, but especially now to, to keep things cheap. Um, you know, there's all kinds of utilities under all kinds of models. We've got investor owned, we've got municipals here in Eugene, we've got a municipal um, and then up in Portland, we've got Portland General Electric, big investor owned. Uh, we have uh, uh, some deregulated markets. Uh, they experimented with that here in Oregon, actually, back in the day. But we've got that mostly in places like Texas, some places on the East Coast, some on the West Coast. But regardless. Here's the funny thing. You bring up yeah. something very interesting because everybody has this. That utilities in general, if you look at it from a macro perspective, are pretty pragmatic. I got to deliver power. Hopefully it's reliable and cost effective. So because the reality is I'm not running out to my post office box saying, whoa, I'm going to get a bill from the electric company. I'm going to be excited about it. That never happens. And but these these are all these different models out there. And you you are in the business of trying to figure out how all of this stuff has to work together to achieve whatever that future looks like. Right. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, it, like I say, the, the hope that utilities always have and always talk about when you, when you talk to them is that they hope that their uh, rate payers, their consumers will become more, uh, just aware, I guess, of, uh, uh, of their consumption. And, you know, as we were joking about, I think before we started recording, you know, gas is so high right now that I don't even look at the bill just because what's the point? Like, there's not a lot I can do about it. It's kind of a sunk <laughs> cost. I'm going to eat up a certain amount of energy in my average week, regardless. Um, so why do I torture myself, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, and, and, and with gas, there's actually even more you can do. I mean, it, it's, it's very little in practical terms, but with utility, with the, with an electric utility on the consumer side, from the consumer point, point of view, there's even less because, you know, yeah. in most cases it's a monopoly and uh, you know, so, so the pressure that utilities are under to keep uh, kilowatts cheap is uh you know, something that I think maybe the average public, you know, doesn't necessarily understand because, nope. you know, we, we, we just think of them as, you know, just a business like any other, they want to sell as much as they possibly can. Um, I hear that from, you know, lay people a lot is, you know, well, you know, they're just trying to sell electricity and I have to tell them eh, not, there are limits, you know, um, 
And I think that people don't understand the limits of the power grid. We, we write a lot about that at, at TND World. Sometimes when I hand a, a report, sometimes when I hand an article over to one of our tech editors, they'll, you know, they're engineers. And so they're like, well, you know, this, this is nice, but it doesn't take into account all of the technical problems that might arise in, in this sort of application. And, you know, uh, they want people to be mindful of that. And, uh, you know, people simply, you know, aren't, uh, I think just because don't they don't you know. Think, I, I think if there's, there, I mean, come on, uh, outside of you and me and maybe, you know, three and a half other individuals geek out on utility conversations, the majority of people, it's easier for when you look at a cell phone and you're going from this phone, I can do anything. I can, yeah. I can achieve my interests right there, right there, right there. And, yeah. and that's, that's a tough one. That's yeah. a tough one. It's to the point where it's actually a little weird to us when the mainstream, when there's a mainstream conversation about electricity, like when uh, the Texas uh, freeze happened uh, more than a year ago now, yeah. and people oh, yeah. were talking about ERCOT. Yeah. I was like, what, you know, like, I mean, I talk about ERCOT a lot. It's part of my job to cover yeah. what they do, but I didn't, I didn't really expect people to be talking about the history of Texas deregulation on, you know, mainstream news outlets. It's not something that I expect. Uh, John Oliver uh, with uh, last week tonight, he's yeah. done a couple of really good reports recently on, uh, he did one on deregulation in Texas and deregulation of energy in general. And, and he also did one on, uh, on just the power grid and the state of our infrastructure, um, you know, which he is, he's right to point out is not great. Um, uh, and then there's other parts of his, the only part really that I would push back on is kind of the assumption that uh, utilities as a monolithic group, which first of all, doesn't exist, but utilities as a group are sort of against uh, renewable energy. Uh, he talked about solar rooftop solar in, in specific and uh you know, what I try to explain to, to lay people is, you know, it's not that they're against it. It's just that there are, there are real physical, like according to the laws of physics, electricity has to flow across the grid a certain way. Our grid was built for it to flow a certain way. And if you talk about taking rooftop solar and generating megawatts worth of electricity that flows in a backwards direction than the grid was designed, you know, that's not, you know, it's not as simple as just hooking, you know, tab A into slot B. It's not interchangeable. It, 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 our grid, as uh, you know, people in the industry know, was designed to have a big power plant. Like think like in SimCity, you plunk a, a power plant down in a remote area where it won't bother anybody. You run some transmission to the load center. Everything's very centralized. And now we're decentralizing, and we're and we're talking about generating electricity. Uh, from big CNI customers that have, I don't know, fuel cells that have small wind. We're talking about residential areas with uh, uh, rooftop solar, uh, Walmarts with rooftop solar, all that stuff, and and running it in a backwards direction. We're talking, and 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 then you know you have to have because because we have an energy market, you know, uh, it has to the resource has to be dispatchable, it has to be predictable, it has to make financial sense. Um, which, you know, you can argue as to whether, you know, it, it should be a for-profit industry or not. That is a discussion that, you know, probably needs to happen. 
but 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 you also have to deal with what we actually have already, uh, which is a grid that was built to do something and an industry that was designed to do something a certain way. And now that's changing. So there will be bumps in that road. Yeah. And, and but you're right. I think that but it's even hard to be able to communicate the realities that exist within the grid. I mean, uh, <clears throat> these these thermal units that exist out there, there's a force there. They hit and that creates the stability with it that we so just accept for granted. We just don't know anything about it. And so where do we go? What I mean, one of the biggest challenges that that I see, too, along with all of the cost elements and along with the infrastructure and the grid and people popping on the grid and doing this and that and, and the utilities obligation to serve. And how do we how do we start addressing? I mean, we t- let's say maintenance. I mean, the, the, the assets out there are old. If they are, you're not you're not reconducting right away. So what do we how do we keep what we have maintained? I mean, that is a, a huge and important question. I, I, there's probably not, a, probably not a more crucial question right now, like right now. Uh, I just wrapped up a story uh, that's going to be coming out in our August uh, edition, I believe. Or, sorry, I always have to think two months ahead, so I'm sometimes not sure of what month, but it's going to be coming out soon anyway. And uh, it was all about supply chain issues. And, um, you know, we have a grid that... of our power goes through transformers and uh, those transformers are made out of very inconvenient materials. They're big, they're heavy, they're made out of uh, things that are subject to price swings and volatility. And a lot of it, we don't make even in this hemisphere, you know, it has to, especially milled steels have to come over from Korea or, or China or Germany. Um, And so we have all these bottlenecks we have this aging grid and we have to, we have this global economy where we have to, um, we have to say to India, for example, uh, we want to buy all this uh, steel to build all these transformers because our transformers have a median age of something like 45, which is outside their operational limits. And uh, they're starting to become unreliable. And then India says, uh, that's nice for you. Uh, we're like building a grid where we haven't had one before. So, you know, why don't we just use what we have here, you know, which is what we did, uh, which is what the United States did. But now that manufacturing has offshored or gone away. We have something like one or two factories left in Ohio or Pennsylvania that make this special steel that makes transformers work. And you can't have transformer cores without them. And I, I handed my editor this, uh, this piece that I wrote. And I said, well, you know, it's like 3000 words, but in my defense, I had to write about the entire global economy to make this make sense. Uh, You know, it's complicated. And uh, when it comes to things like manufacturing, you know, um, the Biden administration, they talk about, um, you know, we want to support American manufacturing. Uh, We want to address these this aging infrastructure and we want to do it through American made stuff. But in so many cases, you know, that manufacturing, that, that, that ship has sailed, you know, um, and, and it's literally has to be brought in on a ship now from somewhere else. But what's the typical lead time good... on in your, in your analysis, what was your typical it's, lead time on transformers? It's distribution? all over the place. 
but it's never good. It's gotten, uh, in some cases, 10 times longer. Um, I got a, one set of numbers when I was doing the story and my VP, Mark Johnson, he had at, at the APPA conference, uh, American Public Power Association, uh, we had a round table of CEOs there. And I'm going to be writing a story about that soon in TND World. I'm also planning on doing a podcast on it. But those CEOs said it was something like 20 months or longer. Um, just brutal. And this is wiping out their reserves. Yeah. Uh, this there's so many pressures, so many drivers for this. There's residential construction. There's natural disasters which are happening with a greater frequency and greater severity in many areas. You know, if say for example down in you know Louisiana and the Gulf Coast, you guys have a you know a storm surge that that swamps a bunch of transformers. Uh, or other grid gear with, you know, brine, uh, that stuff's gone, you know, that, that, that needs to be sent to a shop and refurbished, um, or it has to be replaced from an OEM. And now, you know, that just sucks up a big chunk of the supply for everybody else. Uh, engineers also told me that the renewable energy build out too, is a big pressure on transformers and other uh, grid, uh, HVDC grid equipment because they need all that stuff to connect with the grid because, you know, you build a wind farm out in, oh, I don't know, the panhandle right, of Texas or somewhere right. it's far away. It's, it's where the renewable resource is good, which yeah. is usually in a remote area. And so it has a lot of T and D equipment needs that we don't necessarily think about. Um, I've toured wind farms and, and I think they're amazing. I actually am not one of those people who thinks wind farms are ugly and I wouldn't mind one in my backyard. Um, but you don't think about how they're connected to the grid because a lot of it's underground and you don't see it, you know, they're not connected by wires that you can see. Yep. Uh, but you know, these are, uh, these are things that lay people don't think about. Um, we are, we are big fans of renewable energy. A lot of us, uh, but there's a pressure on, on the manufacturing capability and the supply chain, which is not too reliable right now. There's also, you know, that same kind of steel that I was talking about a minute ago is also integral for the manufacture of electric vehicles. So oh. what you have is one material that is scarce in this hemisphere, and you can either build out the grid with it or build EVs. So what do you do? You need the grid for the EVs. Um, people yeah. are becoming kind of terrified, uh, utilities, I mean, are becoming kind of terrified about electric cars and uh and people might might say oh they're just old you know stodgy you know conservative you know monopoly man kind of people you know they've got they're all wearing monocles and and they're they don't they don't think that of uh green energy or evs is a good thing and i'm forward thinking and i do but but actually it's again more complicated than that because right. some of these utilities are telling me if EV penetration goes above a certain level, and especially at a certain time of day, my grid is, is in a bad way. You yeah, know? it is. Um, so then you are faced with a marketing problem, which is dang near intractable, which is how do you change human behavior as, a, as an entity who needs it to change? One of the most difficult things to do uh, in the discipline of marketing, right? So they're having to say, all right, maybe we will uh, make your electricity free if you plug it in in the middle of the night 
and you don't plug in your EV like right when you get home from work, which is probably what you're going to do if you have an EV. I mean, I don't have one, but if I did, I probably would just, you know, I would get my errands done in the evening and I would plug my car in. But the problem is, is that's when everybody else is plugging everything else in. Everybody's pumping their yeah. AC. Yeah. Electricity is scarce and expensive and uh, it could risk, you know, uh, brownouts. It can risk uh, all kinds of grid instability, power quality problems. Um, so, you know, there so are people who <laughs> see potential in things like vehicle to grid, you know, maybe we can use these cars as a, as a way of storing energy. Uh, but that's kind of way on down the line. And what's more immediate is if too many people start adopting EVs, I might not be able to keep my grid up. And so that's where that note of terror and in their voices comes from it, it, and it's and it's it's so true um what do we do i mean where, where do there's there are so many challenges that exist within the utility you know yeah. grid market generation you name it a lot of buzz Sometimes. going on out there a lot of i and i and i know that utilities tend to be very pragmatic and they're gonna they're gonna still hey i gotta still deliver power because yeah. the regulatory agency is gonna come and hit me upside the head if i don't do my or fulfill my obligation. Got to do your due diligence. Yeah. Yes. And so I what admit, do we do? I mean, what do I, I admit can... sometimes I'm better at pointing out the problems than I am pointing out solutions. Uh, and that's unfortunate. But uh, <laughs> but the, the industry, though, does have some very good things uh, in its favor. Uh, we have a lot of things going for us, which is we actually, in many cases, don't compete with one another. And so that means we can do things like come together at conferences and share information. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, the engineers who I rely on for my coverage are incredibly smart people. Um, they uh, are very interested in problem solving and collaborating. Like so many of them are collaborative thinkers. I, I write stories by myself. You know, I'm, I'm an old newspaper guy and that's kind of how I do it. But then I'll get an article from some from somebody and it'll, and it'll have seven authors. And I'm like, how did these people collaborate like this on a single thing? And, but then I realized that's just kind of how they work. You know, like one guy knows one aspect of, of how this, this particular but, application but works. You're bringing up a good point. I, I think, I think you've touched upon the necessity to educate. We've got to figure out how to communicate in a way that educates the communities, the people, the individuals, all of that stuff and, and make it in such a way that they, Listen, right? So that's that's a challenge. But this whole concept behind collaboration, I think the challenges exist are so dynamic and so challenging. I believe that is only through collaboration. Somebody saying, hey, I solved the problem over here. Wow, I was having this problem over here. Oh, well, let's share and, and be able to do that. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. And yeah, and there's less worry about, you know, trade secrets and yeah. things like that. Um, we have a culture of, of trade groups and, and, and sharing, comparing notes, which is, which is great and doesn't happen in a lot of other industries because you get into things like trade secrets. And uh, another uh, factor, and I'm not one of those people who will tell you that technology is going to save us from all of our problems because I don't necessarily believe that. And I can get into to more of that in a moment, but we do have some some great advances in just things like computing power uh, and things like uh, sensors becoming more cheap, cameras becoming more cheap. You know, these things are big enablers when, uh, when you combine them, especially. 
these are enablers of, of asset management, of power grid maintenance, yeah. of vegetation yeah. management, yeah. things like satellite technology, which is becoming, you know, um, as I understand it, at least uh, more uh, cost effective for utilities to deploy. Uh, I've even talked to some utilities who have their own in-house uh, UAV drone pilots which is kind of crazy to me, you know, I know it's 2022 and we're supposed to have flying cars, but you know, the idea that a utility would actually have, you know, drone pilots, you know, that's kind of something that only the Pentagon used to have. And, and now like yeah. a utility like salt river project has, <laughs> and they have ones that can go underwater and check their hydro facilities. They have ones that can fly to the height of a, of a transmission pylon and, and, ch and do checks that normally a person would have to do or some kind of thermal camera and you'd need someone, uh, someone on the ground to do. But regardless, you're saving, you know, truck rolls, you're saving, you know, sending people out. And also, you know, it's a, it's a safety advantage too, because people working at height, uh, training, training aside and training is important. Uh, PPE is important it's an inherently dangerous activity, even if you're, you know, being completely, you know, and we, you know, this is an industry that has to take care of its people. Um, I, I, I recently did a piece on uh, employee retention <laughs> and what we're calling the great resignation uh, or the big shakeup or whatever you want to call it. But the, the, the plain fact of it is, is a lot of people are going to, uh, you know, other industries, other, they're, they're moving around, you know, it's hard for a guy like me to get coverage of things, certain things, because everybody's switching jobs. And um, it, it becomes more important than ever to take good care of your people and make sure that you're training them well, equipping them well, letting them have the time off that they need to recuperate and do things like go down to Disney World with their kids and, and decompress so that they can you know, remain focused when they're doing this critical work. And, you know, I think if we get to learn anything from, from, you know, COVID-19, I would hope that it would be that. Um, I, that I think take care of that whole um, employee resource retention, things like that, training, bringing in new resources and new people, whatever it might be, new insights, technology. I think that's a heck of a, uh, an interesting equation to try to solve because, if you can deploy technology like satellites and then you can communicate like, for example, Hey, you know, crew, tree trimming crew, go out here. Don't worry about that. This is the reality and make my moves, make mm -hmm. the crews move uh, more efficient. That's a good thing. So you're getting yeah. more done in less time and focusing these valuable uh, people in the right direction. And I think you're bringing up a good point. But, yeah, yeah, it, it, it yeah. keeps it keeps each individual person working for utility uh, at, at basically maximum efficiency because yeah. you're not doing a thing that you don't have to do. Um, and it's you know I, I I would argue that it's 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 good at both ends. It's good at the management end. It's good at the at the worker end. And we have to think about both because you know you can't manage anything without workers. And um, yeah, that's actually something that I always tried to bring our coverage back at, to at Utility Products when I was editor over there. And that is a, a good spot to stay up to date on things like fleet management, um, you know, power grid maintenance, asset management. 
the, the kind of sensor deployments that I've been talking about that make line inspections go easier, the vegetation management technology that I've been talking about that, you know, keep these trimming crews organized and, you know, they can get so granular. I was talking to a guy from Portland General um, right here in my backyard, and we've got some of the biggest trees in the world, unless you go down to Northern California to the Redwoods. And they can actually, uh, with a combination of, you know, satellites and GIS and, you know, handheld uh, computers, uh, they can get so granular that they can keep track of individual trees, which is just nuts to me. If you go out into one of these forests, you know, um, in the Deschutes National yeah. uh, Forest or other places like that, they can, they can, they can pull up the history of a tree, whether it's had disease, whether it's gone through drought whether it's had a, an infection of some insect that's maybe bored holes in it and weakened it. And that makes it a danger, you know, might need to be removed, might need to be worked on, might need special attention of some other kind. And then, you know, how close it is to a, to a grid asset or, uh, you know, things like that. And, you know, that's a level of granularity that, that has only recently become possible. Um, and, you know, it, at a time when, you know, everything seems to be taking longer, whether it's going to a drive-through or flying, you know, from, you know, Oregon to Florida on a plane, it seems like there's not enough, you know, employees to get anything done as quickly or as effectively as it used to be done. So I think labor saving stuff like that is only going to become more important. Oh, absolutely. And there's other drivers too, like, you know, aging workforce and utilities, you know, that's been talked about since I started writing. Forever. I was doing a project many years ago and they were talking about the silver tsunami of people leaving, you know, and and all that knowledge is like, (laughs) yeah, there's different names for it. And that's, that's a pretty good one, but yeah. And it's probably, it's probably going to continue to be a problem because, you know, someone was telling me as I was working on that retention story, uh, people don't think of going to work on the power grid and, doing things like testing transmission pylons or designing transformers. They don't think of it as sexy uh, as going to say, I don't know, going to work for Meta, you know, or going to work for Google, <laughs> you know, they don't think of it as, as attractive or as alluring as that, you know, nobody writes high concept prestige television about like a dude who uh, sits in a lab all day and makes sure that, you know, vacuum switches work correctly they they do it about you know people who are writing code and, and things like that. Right. Oh yeah. Uh, so that's kind yeah, of what we we got to we got to change that perception because it's important. All it's of the, so important. Yeah. I mean, how are Meta you wouldn't exist without power. Let's yeah. Yeah. How are you running that software yeah. without you know power lines? You're yeah. not. Um, yeah. It's taken completely for granted. And uh, <laughs> completely. I mean, I, so we're here to sort of change that perception. Uh, we're going to have to wrap it up. We've okay, been, that's we've been great. rifling for a long time. Uh, yeah. How does somebody get a hold of you, Jeff? What, what's the best way to be able to say, I want to get a hold of Jeff? Oh, sure. Well, uh, I try to stay active on LinkedIn um, as much as I can. And uh, check out our website at uh, tdworld.com. And uh, I believe that at either of those, you can find my contact information. And the people I want to talk to, are people who are with utilities or who serve utilities and who can maybe have a good story about, you know, a new application, yeah. a new labor-saving technology. Um, uh, uh, we love case studies, things like that. 
you know, it could also be something just as simple as I took a really cool photo or I have a really cool story, you know, about I'm actually working on something right now about uh, how to stay safe in the back country. I met a lady at, uh, at uh, a recent conference who uh, faced down a mountain lion and that got me thinking there's all kinds of workers who do all kinds of stuff in all kinds of places and i'm sure there's more than one person who's got some interesting close call stories so you know keep an eye on our, our website uh, for stuff like that and uh and i'd love to hear from you personally if you uh you know maybe have us have a story to tell I like that man well you were great man i really enjoyed the conversation we could have uh gone on for well hours and hours and then i'd have to go get some coffee and then you know <laughs> continued on in the conversation i can geek out on this stuff all day long thank uh, you Jeff, for being on satellite superheroes absolutely thanks for the invite scott uh listeners as well we're going to be wrapping it up on the other side do not go away we'll have all the contact information for jeff so stay tuned Hey, thank you very much for joining Satellite Superheroes and a hearty thank you to Jeff Postalweight. TD World is the company. Senior editor is the title. It was an excellent conversation, and boy, you can tell there's a lot happening within the utility market, the utility space, and boy, technology has got to lead the way to make sure that when I come into my room, I flip that light switch, it happens. So go out, reach out to Jeff Postalweight. You will not be disappointed. Once again, thank you very much, and we're going to have another great conversation shortly, so do not go away. Stay tuned.